1: We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub we back, folks, on the Michigan. other side and joining us or rejoining us, as you just heard from Seth Fisher, who gave us a, a great update on how his son Ryan is doing uh, out of the ICU on, on the men. So great to hear that. Uh, and great support from the MGO Block community for those that are just joining us. Uh, Seth, you can, uh, you can
2: sort of let them know how, how much their support is meant to you. Well, I thank you. So I, the, the community, like I just posted on the board being like, Hey, this is why I'm not writing this week. Right. And out of the blue people just started sending us things. Um, a lot of it has been like food donations or like, you know, uh, Uh, Doordash. Uh, I think we have so we have a good bank of Doordash money now, and I can just order all my favorite Ann Arbor foods. So we had fritas the other night. I was like, "Okay, we're doing this." (laughs) I just um, the only thing I can't get anyone to do is like get it for is like pick it up and bring it here. But we found this Korean barbecue place. I don't know if anyone knows about Soul Street Barbecue, but if you don't know about that place yet, it is incredible. Is that where is that at? It's on Plymouth. I mean, it's like a hole in the wall. You can you yeah. can't find it unless you're um maybe I shouldn't be telling people about this because like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. you think you look like you're pulling into an apartment building. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they, All right. they, they I'll keep that in
1: mind. Well, uh, definitely support from from your viewership, your listenership, your your uh, readership over at the mm-hmm. blog definitely can can feel their support through you. Uh, Of course, the guy who started it all at MGO Blog, Mr. Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? I'm good. Glad to have you, man. And you know, I could only imagine what Brian Cook's dober was like last week on the heels of all of this news of upheaval in college football. So one week, one. (laughs) I know what it was like when I was on before it was all official. I can only imagine what it was like last week. All right, so now we're a week removed from that, and it feels like it feels like we've finally gotten to the point where there's just no more even possible right now, unless Notre Dame, unless Notre Dame changes their their stance on independence, which I see no sign or signal of of that happening. Do you do you sense any chance of Notre Dame's position? changing on this in the aftermath of the ACC or the four members of the ACC saying, no, we don't want to add Cal and Stanford to the mix.
0: I I mean, I just don't think like to change conferences for Notre Dame for all other sports, they would have to join either the SEC or Big Ten, which they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that I think would ever cause Notre Dame to give up their independence is if they didn't have a path to the playoff. And Unfortunately, college football has not been ruthless enough mm-hmm. with the Irish to be like, yeah, no way. So, yeah, they're they're going to be independent until such time as they cannot win a national championship. Yeah, I wonder
1: if that day will ever come where uh, the, the, the Big Ten and SEC, uh, where they come together and say, okay, we're going to play hardball with the Irish. Uh, specifically, there's a date. There's a meeting coming up on the 30th, which to me is going to be uh, the f- one of the more visible examples of whether or not the Big Ten and the ACC are capable of acting on a unified front. So they're going to the, the college football playoff meeting normally scheduled. For, it was already scheduled for the 30th. Uh, you know, expansion, playoff expansion is, uh, is afoot. It's coming next year. But now the Pac-12 is no more. So what's going to happen with the Pac-12 share? What's going to happen with their voting power? Now, the position of the Big Ten is, well, what should happen to their share? You should have it dispensed among the other teams, and it should be proportional to the number of teams in the conference, which obviously serves the Big Ten's purpose. And you would think that the, the Big Ten and the SEC, from a voting block standpoint, will want to be unified so they wield the most influence. And they could step in to this meeting, Seth, and say, you know what? If you guys, ACC, if you other people who are in this meeting, decide that we shouldn't get more voting power and we shouldn't get more money. All right. That's fine. We're going to remember that down the line because we're going to go do our own thing. If the Big Ten and the the SEC got together with that kind of uh, sort of uh, that unified front, I really think they could wield a a lot more influence at this meeting coming up on the 30th.
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, what what this has all been about is money. So they're going to do whatever they can to grab more money. Cause obviously I know this has been hammered to death, but you know, the, there are no um, even though we have elected officials in the Regency to selecting these presidents and the presidents are supposed to be serving the higher good and the athletes are supposed to, or the, the NCAA itself is supposed to be there to ensure um, it, things are uh, working out well for the athletes. None of those parties seem to be interested in anything but what can my little area bring in the most. So yeah. What the what they're all doing right now is they're lining it up because the players are going to get a piece of the TV money. And they don't want the TV, the piece of the TV money to come from them. So they have to find a way to make more money to pay the players so they, they don't have to lose any of the money that they're making. Um and the I don't I, I don't really care now every time i see like okay even the, the even the adding washington oregon it's not like we're i'm looking at this and going yay this is going to change my feelings or anything cuz it's not going to stay put mm-hmm. they they have not created a stable system and it's not going to be stable if the big 10 and the sec are coming together and saying we want to professionalize the sport more because we have basically professional uh franchises here um, it's not going to be stable as long as Rutgers and Maryland are um, in the Big Ten and Oregon is you know, not able to play. They, they have to play Rutgers instead of playing Oregon State like this. This is not tenable. So uh, the systems that they've created right now and the meeting that they have on the 30th and all of that, it doesn't really ring a bell for me because they're going to blow it up. They gave us a, a schedule a couple of months ago and said, here's our schedule for the next four years. And that didn't last a month.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right. Well, oh, you're right. You're right. Well, the other big story that happened while I was out, or since certainly since we last met, was the uh, the report that came out over the week with a statement from the the NCAA uh, saying this is not about the cheeseburger. This infractions case about uh, against Michigan, which again, to me, the, the cheeseburger has been a metaphor anyway. Uh, but he wanted it to be he wanted to comment, making this comment very clear that people are trivializing the seriousness. Of these infractions against Michigan, violating their own policy when it comes to commenting on ongoing uh, infractions, infractions cases, what does that say to you, Brian, about the the NCAA's uh, case? Their 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 feeling, their their leverage in this case, because it really feels like they're flailing a bit now.
0: Well, uh, Dan Wilkin had a pretty good article about this, where he pointed out that you know. <laughs> Only one side of this case can say anything. Also, <clears throat> the NCAA is apparently responding to message board posters because <laughs> nobody associated with Michigan has said anything other than I can't comment. Right. So, so why is the NCAA enforcement complex on your board, Sam? Why are they reading 24-7? I mean, maybe maybe they just need the updates on what's going on in fall camp, but then why are they, why are they reading the other threads? I don't know. And so it, it does kind of feel like um, they're going to try to put their foot down and, and Michigan's just like, we're not having this. You know, we, we had, we had a, a program with, what was it, like 18 level one violations with the head coach directly paying people and they got nothing. They got a slap on the wrist and, and you're going to come here and say that the University of Michigan had a couple of recruits on campus, gave them a hamburger and, and that's, that's worthy of, of something like, come on, man, like this feels like the last act of a dying organization. And they feel like, oh, we got to do something. This guy's really annoying. And I'm sure Jim Harbaugh has been exceptionally annoying through this whole process. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, he's well, never
1: going to. He's never. So let me, full disclosure, I have not had a conversation with him. I, I wouldn't tell you if I had, but I can tell you categorically that I haven't had a conversation with him about this. But I know him well enough to know. He will never say, Seth Fisher, that he lied or misled. That is never going to happen. So if you're at that impasse and you have an axe to grind with Jim Harbaugh, well, well, what do you do? He, clearly his response has been what it's supposed to be, no comment. As much as he wants to say something, he isn't. So now it looks like he's going to coach every game. What does this spell for the future? Is this, a, is this a stance of a guy who feels like, you know what, at the end of the day, NCAA is going to be even more toothless than they are now. Uh, in a, in a year, it won't even matter what kind of punishment they kind of they try to rain down, or like some national pundits are speculating, he's just going to coach this season, win a national championship, and go off to the NFL.
2: The NCAA, one of the problems they've had uh, because they've been an incompetent uh, group of income poops for uh, well over twenty years at this point. You know they they we, we point at Tennessee because the eighteen level one violations. If you took half a mic, you know, my, half of a glass in any program in the SEC, or half the schools, and you know, we I know stuff about Michigan State. I know some things about Michigan that happened under Rich Rod or Lloyd that are way worse than anything that's probably happened under Arba uh, as far as like breaking the NCAA rules are concerned. But no one's, it, the, their system was never was was never really functional unless the presidents cared, and the only thing they had to go on was Michigan's president cared, and all the presidents of schools that don't care. They can't touch them. That's their system. And because that system is so weak, because it's, I think it started with Miami, they had like a booster who just, you know, the, the guy was running ragging and then told them everything. And then they couldn't get anything on him because Miami said, you know, go, go eat shoe. So, Uh, that's been their process and that's been their system. And because it's been going on for so long, anyone who's serious in that organization is long gone. If you know what you're doing, if you have a level of competency beyond a six-year-old who has Miller-Fisher syndrome, you are probably not working at the NCAA. You are, you know, off, um, you know, you're working for one of the schools, right? You're in in a compliance department. So that leaves a vacuum for these jobs where, you know, you can go and, investigate Jim Harbaugh if you want to. So if someone's got, uh, you know, someone's got a nephew and they want to get them a job, they can just stick them in the NCAA in the for- enforcement and boom, you're, you know, you're immediately number three. Or if you are a rich guy and you got nothing else to do, you can quote volunteer for one of these jobs and then you can go and act, grind whatever acts you want to. And I'm sure there's a difference between Harbaugh and his needs. Cause Harbaugh is like, yeah, I might be in the NFL next year anyway. What do I care when I tune in next year? Um, if, and the needs of Michigan who are like, we want to be the school that's not cheating. We want to be the school that everyone looks to that, that, that shows people how it's supposed to be done. So I wonder if there's some incongruency between what Harbaugh wants and what Michigan wants. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the, quote, talks broke down. Was that Michigan was trying to say, look, we'll or maybe that maybe Michigan themselves was like, okay, we'll do four game suspension and whatnot. And the NCAA leaked that. And um, you know, Harbaugh Harbaugh's not talking, but I other people are talking. Other people know where Harbaugh stands on this thing. And his needs are definitely not the needs of the NCAA. So the whole thing is ridiculous. They, the the fact that they're going after Michigan now is just uh, if you understand how a dying organization works, that's the only thing they can do. They can they bring in people who have access to grind.
1: Yeah, man, uh, to steal a, uh, the, the new word in our lexicon, thanks to Seth Fisher and Ryan Fisher. It, it's still really bitty, though, yeah. that, that the NCAA can go out and comment on this. And Harbaugh is basically powerless to defend himself publicly. Uh, they haven't even taken to doing so privately, which I certainly would do. I mean, I get why they aren't. Uh, but, 2 can but I mean, th- the first leak from the NCAA was, you know, they didn't have a name attached to it, but it was them. It'd be very easy for Harbaugh and Tom Mars to do that. Mm-hmm. They have their, their connections in the media that they can float stuff to, but they've chosen not to do that. And, and, and seeing that, that's what made me think like, he's just a flipping thing. He's like, oh, they don't even matter for one or two reasons. Either he thinks they won't be around much uh, to do anything. Uh, In the future anyway, or say, man, I'm gonna win the championship and then I'm out anyway. So (laughs) we'll
2: see how (laughs) things go. I wish Ward Manuel wasn't like one of, you know, eight people in the entire world who still takes the NCAA seriously. Because this could have all stopped really quickly if Michigan just said, you're not doing an investigation here. He'll tell you what we did. And then you're going to have to eat. You have to live with that instead of like, you know. Michigan Michigan allowed them in. Michigan was trying to play ball. And that's kind of one of the reasons we got to this point in the first place is Michigan, not necessarily Harbaugh, but Michigan makes the decision. Ward Manuel and Santa Ono are the ones who make these decisions, not Harbaugh. Michigan let them in.
1: I think they're the uh, in, in retrospect, maybe the, the mistake was to your point conceding anything. Because Michigan made concessions here. I think the anticipation was that we'll get it over with. And mm-hmm. clear what what became evident is that the NCAA has an agenda beyond just uh, holding Michigan accountable for for violating the rules? They want to get Harbaugh specifically. They want yeah. Jim Harbaugh. Now, why that is, I have no clue. But that's yes, what do. become evidence. Yes, anymore. you do. Why? Why do they want Jim? Harbaugh? I mean, what is, yeah, I, is Jim Harbaugh? Doing?
0: Yeah. Can you imagine getting Jim Harbaugh in a room and trying to talk to him about this stuff in 2023? He he would make you feel like the most useless person in the history of the universe. And then you'd be like, man, that guy made me feel bad. I'm gonna do something bad to him. That's all that's going on here.
1: I agree. I agree that that's that 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 happened, but that th- it would carry this thing out this far away. They wouldn't take a a an organization that needs a win. Like it was a win was being gift wrapped. Like, you got Michigan on multiple level two violations,
0: right? No, but level two, I mean, that's not a win. No no more than the Tennessee stuff was a win. The Tennessee stuff was a final affirmation that you can do literally anything, and the NCAA isn't going to ban you from the postseason for even one year.
1: Well, but the the concessions for Michigan came prior to the lack of punishment for for Tennessee. I mean, they could have had this win back in, you know, January.
2: Yeah, but level yeah. two violations aren't a win. Ohio State has, you know, twenty-five a year or fifty a year
0: or something, right? Every, like they, every, everybody has that number a yeah. year. not just yeah. Ohio State. Yeah.
1: So well, at any rate, they, they want to get Jim. Uh, and it sounds like it, they got told uh go eat. Well, <laughs> I was about to make another rip on Vinnie, but i better stop here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: right, 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 Same, right, right.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's switch gears. And get off of that, you know, I, I got a call from CBS before the uh, the press conference on, what was it, Tuesday, and they were like, hey, you know, right, can you provide us some video of, of Harbaugh's press conference because we want to run a whole, uh, you know, part of our newsreel on him reacting to the NCAA's uh, statement. And I was like, so you're going to want a one-word response because that's what you're going to get. And that's exactly what he did. He spoke mostly about position battles, guys. And so – uh most intriguing to me was his talk about the offensive line and, and particularly the tackle position where he came out saying Carson Barnhart has been the leader of the pack halfway through and I'm wondering were you how how struck were you by that or by anything he had to say about the position battles halfway through fall camp
0: Yeah that jumped out to me too um I've just, I'm i starting my season preview uh, right up of the offensive line, and I was just going over Barnhart and, and Trent A. Jones from last year, and I was like, man, I graded Trent A. Jones a lot better than Carson Barnhart. And I looked at Pro Football Focus, and we have some issues with their offensive line grading, but most of that goes away when you're talking about teammates because they're being graded by the same guy against more or less the same opponents in the same scheme. And they had Trent A. Jones, like, 15 points clear of Barnhart, which is a huge gap. Um, so I was surprised when it felt like Trent A. Jones was healthy enough to play last year because he was getting on the field for those, like, bonus tight end snaps, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't back in the starting lineup. And I'm a little surprised, again, this fall, that that Carson Barnhart apparently is at the front line of the tackle just because – from what we've seen on the field, like, you know, Carson has good feet. He's uh, agile. He's quick. He's pretty decent in pass protection. But if you get uh, JTT on him, he's going to have a hard time holding up in the run game. He just hasn't been that forceful a- as a tackle thus far in his career. And maybe that's changed. I mean, players develop at different rates and offensive linemen develop slower than just about anyone except quarterbacks. And, I was – we'll see how it, how, it, how it pans out, but I was a little bit surprised um, that that Barnhart was apparently number one on the tackle depth chart.
2: that? I mean, the one thing Barnhart has is he's played for Michigan more than all these guys. He's got way more snaps. He's got way more games played. And you start the fall camp, you know, I don't always trust – the thing's coming out of fall camp. So when he says, you know, Carson Barnhart's leading the, the pack, that could be a motivational thing. It could be a, we don't want Carson to feel left out because he's the former, you know, he's a returning starter. Remember how much we did for Cade. We gave him, you know, we gave him a, a completely fair shot to keep his job, even after JJ was passing him. And that's what you got to do when you've got a returning starter who's given everything the program. He's back for his fifth year. Like the, Carson Barnhart's given you a lot. But he's the guy that you don't want to win that position because, like Brian said, he's not not grading out as highly as Jones even when they're playing already. Jones has, I think, more upside just because he's got those feet. He's got that strength that's out of, out of this world. And you know, Miles Hinton is out there too. And when he comes online, I wasn't expecting Hinton to be competing at this level, even mentioned yet, but he's already getting some mention. Um, but when he yeah, comes online, that's going to be something too.
0: He's getting some mention, but what I think this is, is um, he did not redshirt at Stanford. He did play in 2020, so he, ha- he should have a sixth year available. So what I feel like this is, is that he's going to redshirt this year, try to get right as a football player. Some of his offseason quotes have been like, you know, I haven't really been focused on this. I haven't taken this as seriously as I should have. And so this feels like a, a ramp-up year for him. And then Ladarius Henderson didn't participate in spring. So it makes total sense why he is not at on mm-hmm. top of the depth chart entering fall camp. Um, <clears throat> I think the expectation from everybody is that Ladarius Henderson will take that job um, just because, I mean, he could have gone to the NFL draft and probably been a third or fourth-round pick last year. And I don't think Carson Barnhart is at that level. Um, and so then it, it really goes back to the right tackle job. And well, whether it'll be Trent A. Jones or Carson Barnhart. Mm-hmm. And my expectation was it would it would be Trent a. Jones. Jones. A. Jones, yeah. Because I mean, Trent, yeah. you you remember last year that was not a position battle that went into the season, right? At the beginning of fall camp, Harbaugh said Trent A. Jones is the front runner and it never really wavered from that. And I think right. what we saw on the field is like, okay, I understand why that was the case. So things change. I mean, guys develop. We'll see. Yeah, I
1: think, uh, you know, he, he was also laying the foundation for the Michigan method, as some other program called it, where you're going to have one, one set of guys start one game and the next set of guys start, you know,
0: game two. And then... Is that, that going to happen this fall? That's he what Harbaugh is, right yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, honestly, I'm I've started writing this up and the second string line... Yeah, Percy, you got El Hadi, you have either Crippen or Raheem Anderson, both of whom I think would be starting on every team in this league except maybe Ohio State. And you got, you know, Jones and or Barnhart at right tackle. And then really the only place on the entire offense where you don't have someone who is very promising or experienced is maybe right guard. But then you have Reese Attaberry, who the program thinks pretty highly of. So this is this is a situation where I think the second string offensive line could get some real live fire snaps against you know the non conference schedule, which is not <laughs> good this year, um, and come out okay. And I would be really interested to see that. Yeah, man. And uh, you know the
1: interesting thing, looking back on last year's experience, that would probably fuel you as Harbaugh to do this even more. Is in you know, the biggest competition for for Cade and JJ for that matter um, in the first couple of games was not the opponent. It was the the circumstance and it, it, it wasn't the opponent that, that uh, got the better of Cade as much as it was the circumstance. It just seemed like the magnitude of, of the competition just made him press and made him not play to the level that we had seen him play prior to that. And you wonder if you're Harbaugh, even though these, the first couple of games are sucky opponents. You want to see how guys react under, under live fire, right? Because we saw it. Sometimes it doesn't even matter if the opponent is sucky, if the guy just can't stand up to the moment. And that was Cade last year. We'll see if it has a similar effect to any of these guys on the offensive line. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially on the offensive line, because so much of the offensive line stuff is mental. It's processing information. It's taking unexpected developments from the defense and managing to redirect and get your block. And even if you're playing a team that's not very good, that you can physically dominate, like they're going to be throwing curveballs at you. And it's not going to be like spring practice where you know what the offense is doing back to front. It's a different team. So I think there's a lot of, a lot you can learn in there. I mean, I, I have done these UFRs for a long time and I will clip back up offensive linemen against, you know, Hawaii's third string. Cause you can learn stuff from that. And there's a couple of Raheem Anderson clips from last year that are great. like, recognition just kind of stuff where i'm just like man i can't believe this guy isn't pushing to start but you look at the guys in front of him and it's like well sometimes it do be like that <laughs> yeah right 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 all
1: right so i need you guys to to help me with something as we come back on the other side so we've it's preview season you guys have a great preview magazine i know you looked at all these other teams and I was struck. I did a uh an interview on the cover three podcast. One of the questions from Bud Elliott was, Hey, so who's the best running back group in the Big Ten? And I'm like, is, how is this, this even a I mean, serious. I seriously I I reacted and I'm like, How is this even a question? Like, you is this like one of those deals where you just want to get a reaction out of me? But that's like <laughs> that's like a thing that people are talking about Penn State having the, the better running back. And that's not to say that this is i think michigan's is better than penn state is some slouch but how is this even a discussion similar thing occurred yesterday with steve clark as we were previewing penn state and he said you know penn state is rated by Phil Steele as the best secondary in the big 10 i'm like how how is someone rating penn state's returning secondary over michigan's right now so help me with that well i want you to <laughs> sort of assess for me <laughs> Where, from a position standpoint, those two in particular, but we can get into others, how Michigan lags behind some of the teams that they're, you know, the rest of the the, the Big Ten teams that they're being compared to that are ahead of them, according to some pundits. We'll get to that on the other side here, and go will blow round roundtable on Sports Talk 1050, WTKA, the ticket. I feel like I'm, um, you know, missing the memo on Penn State. I, I really do. Uh, because... I mean, you got pundits thinking, acting like they're about to be the 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 squad that rises up, and not just because of Drew Aller, but because they're they're talking about their secondary losing Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown and potentially being better. I'm just, I, I don't know how you come to that conclusion.
2: Maybe they're listening to you talk about Kalen King all these years, and they're like, okay. I mean, <laughs> Sam, Sam loves this guy. I do love Kalen
1: King. I think that was a big miss for for me. I think Michigan thinks it was. They thought it was a big miss at the time.
0: Yeah, Good, but you put, God, you put him on this roster, Jesus.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's that, But but but, who am I talking about more, Kalen King or
0: Will Johnson? Well, yeah, I mean, Will Johnson is probably going to be an All American this year, but Kalen King could also be an All American. Like they're very close, <clears throat> and I think Johnson has more upside because of his size and he's younger. But <clears throat> like, if you're starting a secondary, Kalen King's a pretty good piece to start with. So let's let's call that a wash. Then I'll, yeah. I'll give that. We'll do this on here, but we'll say
1: even though I think it's will, they they balance each other out. I still yeah. got Rod Moore, who yeah. is one of the best safeties in college football. I still got Mikey Saint Bristol. Who can play corner safety or nickel and probably be as good at any of the positions. But Harbaugh said we are at our best when he plays nickel. And we saw what a difference maker he can be there. And I think Makari Page is one of the most improved players in the secondary. The question mark you have is that other corner spot. But if you are looking at Penn State, you can't tell me they don't have one or two
0: uh, question marks just as big. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think part of it is just, like, Michigan fatigue in these preview magazines. Mm-hmm. Like, Phil Steele isn't going to say Michigan has the best everything in the league. <laughs> I say that to
1: Ira. Right. Like, yeah. is, is that what is going on here? That they're just trying, okay, well, I got to put some other team in there because I got Michigan at the top of the running backs. I got Michigan at the top of the offensive line. Like, I got to put some other squad up here. Is Maybe that's what's yeah.
2: And they got Keaton Ellis too. It's not like they're, um, you know, they and I, I like I like their defense. I mean, I think Penn State's gonna have a better defense than offense. The reason I think people are overrating Penn State isn't their defense at all. It's it's they are looking at the stars on uh, Drew Aller, the the new uh, the, the new stud. Mm-hmm. And Penn State always does this. They always get this new quarterback. Right? remember Christian Hackenberg his freshman year. He's like so great in the bowl game. And then the next year he's like, okay, this guy's going to be a superstar. And he's the same Penn State quarterback they always have. We don't have an offensive line. These guys get ruined over time. And then they just kind of make it work. I think they had a really good quarterback last year, a great quarterback last year, and I think they're – mission or Penn State fans kind of got fatigued right they're they're they got sick of Sean Clifford like they did with Hackenberg and the forgetting the name of the guy between them too but like well, they just yeah you, you, you.
0: being sick of Hackenberg was warranted <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great That's, that's I right. swear
0: but Clifford was awesome
2: Clifford well, was Clifford. awesome last year if they think they're going to get better play out of Drew Aller than they got out of Clifford they're they're nuts They're nuts. I don't care. That guy was awesome last year. He made things work even when when their offense was breaking down. You could not rush him on the outside because he was going to escape. And, you know, the, the amount of hits he took and got back up again, which you need to do when you have an offensive line. Penn State's got like one offensive lineman, and all the rest of them are terrible. Like, Drew Aller is not that guy. He's not that accurate. Talk a little, just
1: a little tiny bit of recruiting. I'm sure you're seeing this on the blog. Brian, but, uh, you know, folks are obviously in a panic. How, how concerned What's your level of concern with how right, someone is with Michigan? We'll get into that. So, fellas, my MGO blog brother, Seth Fisher, and, of course, Brian Cook, I asked you in the break, and we kind of talked about it in, in the break, where is this sentiment first that Michigan doesn't have the best running back uh, tandem in, in the Big Ten? Understand when I ask that question, I'm not saying that Michigan has the best and then that Ohio State and and Penn State are slouches, but how is this even a debate given what we saw from that group, uh, this tandem last year? How do you even have a legitimate discussion about this like it's a question?
0: Well, I think the way you get there, and this is is not me endorsing this, is one, you're Phil Steele and you're sitting down and you're trying to write – your big 10 preview and, and like the top of every group is Michigan. And you're like, this is bad. I can't publish this. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to buy this. And so you're like, ah, well, you know, Katron Allen and Nicholas Singleton had pretty good years last year. And I mean, to be fair, those guys averaged about six yards a carry behind the Penn state offensive line, which is not the Michigan offensive line. So you can like maybe fudge it now. Is either of those good Blake Corum? No. Is either of those good Donovan Edwards? No. I mean, they're good. They're good. But they're, they're not able to just dust people in the backfield like Corum, and they're not NFL-level receivers like Donovan Edwards. Now, the secondary stuff is, I don't know, I mean, Kalen King is a hell of a piece to start a secondary with, and then their second cornerback returns as well, and he had a very solid year last year. His name escapes me they got to replace a couple of safeties, but they have a history at Penn state of producing safeties. Um, so it seems like every year, like before it was J.R. Hill, it was uh, Jaquan Brisker mm-hmm. the year before. So I think that you can maybe project and say that like, okay, whoever they have stepping into that safety spot is going to be pretty good. But yeah, the main factor I believe is uh, you got to spread the love around when you got a preview magazine. Yeah,
1: that's I suppose, Seth. And then uh, as I try to make that case, because I know it's not you making the case, Brian, but I'm trying to put myself in with these uh, prognosticators. I'm looking at okay, Penn State, Catron Allen, Nick Singleton, really, really good, but they sucked against Michigan, right? <laughs> Both of those guys they got they got destroyed. It's statistically. Well, what are those
2: guys? Not- They're speed backs, right, right? They got destroyed. They bre- and, by- and Singleton, he breaks free. You're going to get some yards, and. It's a lot harder to see the things that I mean. It's not hard to see what Diamond Edwards does, right? But it's a little harder to see. Like when we started charting Blake Corum when he started like having his takeoff in twenty twenty one, I was doing the charting. We did a podcast with Brian. Uh, Brian and I were doing a podcast together, and I'm like, I'm getting these numbers for him that are just ridiculous. And he's like, You got to be doing something wrong because he was doing the charting before. And he's like, Yeah, it can't be right. It can't be true. Um, and Pro Football Focus was doing the same thing they were i think they had him like one of the best players of all time and when you watch the film when you see the little things but, you know, they, these these are big spread. pre like, When Phil Steele's doing it, he's not going to watch the film like that on every team. Phil Steele is going to know who's playing for every team and, like, basics about them. But he's like, he's got to lean on stats. He's not going to be able to do the kind of, you know, grainy work that we do on just a few players. Right? Well, so we okay. see well, things about Quorum that they don't.
1: Well, do this, Phil Steele. Look at head-to-head. And they got just run out of the the gym or run out of the stadium that day where both blake and and donovan had over 150 yards rushing in that game and then look at them against ohio state katron allen and nick singleton didn't have big days against ohio state like like donovan edwards did so i'm just like i'm trying to figure it out like how, how you but okay you get over to the secondary and i think it I, I i'm finding myself in the same position saying man jair brown was a player joy porter jr was one of the best corners in the league, right? Even if you believe, uh, you know, even if you believe Kalen King is that dude, which I do, I look around at the other pieces of the secondary. I'm like, man, Michigan has more proven guys returning than Penn State. And, okay, maybe he's Manny Diaz's guy, right? Maybe Phil Steele, and he gets info from Manny Diaz all the time. Year one, Manny Diaz versus year one of Jesse Minter. Who are you taking? Uh, I'm, again, I'm trying to find, Oh,
2: you're right. Manny Diaz got rocked by Michigan last year. Uh, that makes me a little concerned for this year because, like, the the degree to which Michigan got Manny Diaz last year. I think what they're looking at is Michigan's second corner is we, we cast about until we got a guy from UMass, and he's leading the the pack right now. That You know, th- what they have on their second corner is Johnny Dixon, um, and Daquan Hardy's around too. So they've got, like, a couple, like, Jamon Green – caliber players who've been around the program for a long time, played a lot of football, not necessarily going to go high in the nfl but those guys can play big 10 football we know it they have a very high floor for the guys that are filling in where michigan has this one spot i think if you're as brian mentioned if you're trying to fill in the best units of the big 10 and i know alex is trying to do this right now too on our site and you're like okay who you don't want to answer michigan or ohio state for everything it's just you, you can't if you were doing these previews in the 70s, you'd have the same problem. OK, they, truthfully, everyone knows Blake Corms better. Truthfully, everyone knows that Michigan secondary's mm. got two potential All-Americans in it. But if you're looking for reasons to put somebody else there and highlight what is a very good secondary with a very good defensive coordinator on what should be a very good team that for, they'll
0: probably go 10 and 2 this year. This is your <laughs> opportunity. Yeah, if Penn State goes ten and two this year, they're just going to be like, "Oh, come on!" (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's. it's, I mean, what are they going to do? Beat Ohio
0: State? They got to be. They got to (laughs) be the happiest team in the Big Ten about all this expansion because they're like, "Get me out of this division!" (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think
1: ten and two is about as good as it gets for for a Penn State, at least in in my opinion. All right, so so guys. you know, it's been a pretty uh, bleak place, uh, at least around our site. When you talk about recruiting, uh, since I've come back and even before, where it's, you know, summer recruiting for for Michigan hadn't been the best, uh, to say the least. There have been some uh, some high profile uh, losses, and uh, the consistent theme there, if uh, setting aside all the NIL talk, the consistent theme there is uh, last visits. Losing program, losing guys to programs who got those players on campus for their last time before they made a decision. That was uh, Justin Scott. That was um, uh, that was certainly um, Aaron Scott. That was. I mean, we keep going down the line. There are a number of guys uh, like that. David Polly, Polly. I mean, so many guys uh, happen like that. And then there are the flips. So there is uh, just recently here. Uh, we had uh my man from, from down at Deerfield Beach, and then now it looks like the Smith twins are about to flip. Against that backdrop, how concerned are you about Michigan recruiting, starting with you, Brian?
0: Well, honestly, when Miami flips a Michigan recruit, they did us a favor. Because that's telling on yourself, right? Like, the kind of person who's like, "Yeah, hey, I'm going to go to Miami to play football isn't going to work out at Michigan, probably. Honestly. Like, I, I just, I just can't imagine. Like, okay, I could play at the University of Michigan, back-to-back Big Ten defending champions, or I could go play for Miami, a team that hasn't done anything in 25 years and plays in front of 12 people, all of whom are drunk 24 <laughs> seven. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a loss. I think that's someone who is going to wash out of the program, and Miami is doing us a favor. Smith Twins going to Kentucky is kind of like. I mean playing time could be a factor for them. One of Michigan's strategies right now is they're just loading up on dudes and seeing how they shake out. But that's a, that would be a tough one, but I mean they're they're mid four-star edge recruits. Michigan can can replace them. You know, like it's never really a problem for Michigan to get recruits the caliber of the Smith twins. And those they're good recruits, they're but they're both four-stars, they're but they're in that 200 to 300 range. Uh, maybe maybe the higher ranked one isn't like 150. I, I'm not exactly sure, but <clears throat> those are never gonna be recruits that make or break you, you know like will Johnson was a make or break recruit like that one Michigan had to have and obviously the team looks much different without him this year. but is the team gonna look a ton different without some developmental edge prospects? no um, you know they they they're gonna find their guys. They're going to bring in a big class. They're going to have functionally, you know, 105 scholarship players. They're going to develop them. They're going to put them under Ben Herbert and everything's going to be fine.
2: Seth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look where Ohio state is right now. They just lost the last two games to Michigan and Ohio state needs to have everything handed to them to function as Ohio state. That's what their program is built on right now. Right there. You're going to come here and you're going to win championships. You're going to beat your rally. You're going to get your gold pants. You're going to go to high in the NFL. That's what Ohio State offers. Right. That's what their program is about. We're the pro program. And they have not been delivering. So there. Will Johnson was Aaron Scott. It's a guy with an Ohio State family in the heart of Ohio at a position where you have been sucking lately because you don't know how to develop guys. And you had this, and that's been Ohio State's problem. What were their other problem? Defensive tackle. They're just getting pushed out of the way by Michigan. So what do you need? You need a five-star defensive tackle to come in and play right away. Those guys, if they lost Aaron Scott to Michigan, that is a five-alarm fire for Ohio State. That, and it came close. So I think what we were doing with those guys is we were kind of reaching out and seeing how far you can get, right? Like, how how deep does this go? And the fact that we even got that close with Aaron Scott tells you what state Ohio State is in uh, – the program is in right now because that's a guy normally we're not fighting for. The NIL stuff has to get worked out. The Smith twins, always a little bit weird. I wrote the – I wrote um, one of the brothers up, and, the, and Alex wrote the other brother up, I think. But, like, they – when we had four uh, edges in the class, I was like, what are what are they doing here? Like, what's the point of this? Like, those guys are maybe a little further along. They've been on recruiting radars for so long. They're the kind of guys that I kind of think get overrated highly and then kind of fall back. And if they were a huge deal to Kentucky and, you know, the three and four edges in Michigan's class at the time, I get that. I don't necessarily agree with Brian. I love that prospect that they that we lost. I, I thought that Michigan really could have developed him, and um, you know reasons to go to Miami are are obvious. You can count them in their the color green.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I think nil definite factor. Anytime you lose a guy to Miami, and I think it, it would be this is my my opinion on the matter. I think it would be a uh, a, a key factor and a, a flip of the, the Smith twins. And so understand the, the sentiment. And yet, while there's reason that for uh, you know some concern, panic, I, I think, is, is an overstatement for a few reasons. You just name one. Uh, I remember talking about Notre Dame at last year around this time. I said, let's wait for the season to roll around and see if they can maintain this momentum when, once games get played. I mm-hmm. continue to say that if Ohio State gets beaten down by Michigan again, someone down there is getting fired and that <laughs> that has the potential to uh, affect current recruiting outcomes. That's number one. Number two, gradual as it may have been, we've seen some signs of some movement on the NIL front, the public endorsement of uh, in partnership with champion circle, right? Um, you know, the, the, uh, the empower uh, deal, the, the, uh, the, champion circle deal with uh Learfield that they have now so they're they're doing some things uh I think the the final pillar in this is the more NIL success Michigan can show for their current guys your JJ's your your Blake's your Donovan's your Will Johnson's that's functional as is or as will be any NIL success that Jaden Davis has it wasn't lost on me that Ohio State's quarterback commitment. There was just this announcement of this huge NIL deal that he got with some Mm -hmm. Tommy John or something, right? That kind of thing is important for for Michigan and Jaden because that has tangible value on the recruiting trail. That is Michigan's tool moving forward. Can they demonstrate NIL success, Brian? Because it gets to my last piece. The biggest recruit for Michigan in a long, long time is on it right down the road. And I think he's the biggest recruit since since Drew Henson and recruiting fortunes with him will dictate a lot moving forward to me. And that's Bryce Underwood.
0: Yeah. And Michigan's main competition with Bryce Underwood is LSU. And so do you think they're going to open up their checkbook? Yes, they are. I mean, LSU, big program, ton of fans, ton of money. And they like winning football games. So this is one guy that I do not think you are going to be able to get without matching what LSU is able to offer. And can Michigan do that? Yes. If they're so inclined, they can do it. Um, are they going to Queensberry's rules this away and like be like, oh, I'm going to hold my nose at, at paying the number one recruit in the country to come to my school? We'll see. Um, I, I It seems like that would be the only thing that would, would change his mind at this point. Right? Because it feels like he's on campus every every other day and he loves kirk campbell and michigan's right down the road they've had more recent success than lsu which is kind of scuffling a little bit and you know it's close to home so from everything that i've gathered it looks like that's just going to be it like if michigan can match the number they will get this kid so match the number (laughs) that's it that's it i i just I I just want
2: to add to that, man. LSU is never going to have the greatest children's hospital in the country, in the world. And when you look at the names downstairs, like when you walk in, that's where Michigan people put their money first. And that's, that's the donor class. Those are the same people we're talking about. So like, are we going to put our money towards this or are we going to put our money towards other things? We already have, we have a lot of other things that Michigan people put their money towards, and that's what we're competing with. And I think the question is a harder one to answer than we thought because it's not like the money is just infinite, and they want to give to things that matter here and in the LSU. They want to give it to quarterbacks. Yeah,
1: it's a great way to close, Seth. Best hospital uh, in the in the world, in the country, uh, in both. All right, so. <laughs> I can speak from experience there. Thanks a lot, fellas. Another very spirited discussion. To the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050, WTK The Ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan sports.